Welcome to our podcast of Risen Fellowship. My name is Mike Booth, and we are so glad you decided to tune in and listen to another study on the Minor Prophets, the Twelve. And today we're going to be looking at the third of the Minor Prophets, which is Joel. But just as a brief reminder, remember that they're called Minor Prophets, and they're not minor because they're less important than Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, or Daniel. No, the Bible scholars have really called them Minor Prophets because of the brevity of their writings, and that's about the reason why they have that. Now, there's many things about the prophets that are unifying, that God had spoken through them, that God had chosen Israel. They proclaimed that God had chosen Israel for a special, a special covenant relationship. While the majority of Israel had sinned against God and His standards in their relationships, they were warning that God's judgment and punishment was going to come upon them and that that would eradicate sin. But the prophets also promised that there would be a time of renewal that follows the day of punishment, not just for Israel, but also beyond that coming day that will bring the history of mankind to an end and it will come to a close. Then God will set up His eternal kingdom. Now, as we're studying right now, we're in those 8th century prophets about Hosea, which was the saddest case. Uh, we've seen now Joel, which is the second book of the 12 minor prophets. And there's no clear consensus about the dating of his ministry and his writing. There are many scholars who believe that it had to be between the 9th or 8th century B.C. And the main reason they have that, or one of the main reasons, is because of the enemies of Israel that are listed there. They sound prevalent of during that time period. Tyre and Sidon, the Philistines, Egypt, and Edom. However, others believe that because there's no mention of a king of Israel, that that dates after the exile, which makes the exile a past event. And thus, those people believe that the dates of the writing of Joel had to be the 4th century B.C. So anywhere from the 9th to the 4th century B.C., it's argued and debated. And since we cannot be dogmatic about the date, which really doesn't affect the way we interpret it and apply it to our life, we will just study it in the progression of the Old Testament books. Now, the Minor Prophets, again, I'd say this uh, just so we keep reiterating this as we get together. They're not just about history, nor the Minor Prophets, just about the Old Testament people of God, the nation of Israel. No, they're for everyone, past, present, and future, everyone today, because each of us are realizing that the call of these prophets is for us as a follower of Christ to be able to repent of our sins and to become obedient to God's Word, and then to hold on to the promise of the future. Now, Hosea's message that we studied in our previous podcast grew out of a personal heartbreak of his own family. Joel's ministry and his message is going to come out of a national calamity, and that's the invasion of a plague of locusts. And along with the locusts came a drought, and the combination of the drought and the locusts caused a great famine in the land. Joel's message was that these calamities was part of God's disciplined hands for the people of Judah and for their sins. But Joel's looking beyond just the locusts that happened during his day, and he saw another army that was like that, that was an allegory. But it was going to be a literal army of Gentile nations coming in and surrounding and attacking the city of Jerusalem. So Joel saw the immediate judgment of God, which is the locusts, as an illustration of the ultimate judgment of God, which is the day of the Lord. So let's look first at the present judgment, and that's the day of the Lord typified. And as we begin this, we can divide it into four groups, 
four sections. And the first one is the announcement. Listen to verse 4. When the, what the chewing locusts had left, the swarming locusts had eaten. And what the swarming locusts had left, the crawling locusts had eaten. And what the crawling locusts left, the consuming locust has eaten. Now this isn't four different kinds of locusts, of insects. No, this is like four different stages of growth. This was a severe infestation of locusts, from very young locusts to the most uh, uh, mature ones that were really just devouring everything in its past. So look at the announcement that's made to the several different groups of people of Judah. First, it's to the elders, and that's the older generation that was alive at that time. And basically, this announcement that Joel is saying is, can be summed up in one little phrase. To the elders, can you ever remember a time like this? You know, as uh, I'm growing older, I used to be young one time, and I remember all how all the old people used to talk about the good old days. Now it seems like that I may be the one guilty of talking about the good old days. And so now that I'm part of that older generation, it's just like Joel is looking at me right in the eyes and saying, can you ever remember a time like this? Verse 2, C says, has anything like this ever happened in your days or even in the days of our fathers? Tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children and let their children tell another generation. So the elders were the one responsible for handling the relationship, the covenant relationship that God had with Israel, and we were to pass this on. Another announcement comes to the drunkards in verses 5 and through 7 of the first chapter. And basically the announcement is these, he's telling them, you're going to weep and well because your vineyards are going to be destroyed, so you're not going to have any wine to drink. And then verses 8 through 10, he talks about the worshipers. And he makes the announcement to them, you're going to have to come to the temple empty-handed because you're not going to have any sacrifices to, to bring with you because of the severe famine that's going to be on the land. And to the farmers, they're going to be mourning. He's given them the announcement, but mourning, crying, and grief is going to come upon you because you're going to have no crops to harvest in your fields. And then finally to the priest, he makes the announcement, because all this is going to happen to all the nation, you need to lead the nation in fasting and praying. Because see, the heart of the matter from the eyes of Joel the prophet is in verse 15 of chapter 1. Alas, for the day, the day of the Lord is at hand, and it shall come as destruction from the Almighty. So as long as the people of God obey Him, He's going to be able to send rain on the land. And that rain will bring a harvest. But if they turn their backs on him and turn away from him, then he's going to cause the heavens to be like brass and close up the rain and destroy all the uh, crops in the fields. So that's the announcement that's made that's typifying the day of the Lord. Then there's the alarm. And the first trumpet that is blown in the book of Joel in verse 11, 1 through 11 of chapter 2, Joel is told to blow the trumpet as a warning to warn the people that the coming locusts the consuming locusts are coming and they're going to eat everything. And there's going to be so many of these locusts that it's literally going to blot out the sun and the moon. That's the first trumpet that's blown in the first 11 verses of chapter 2. And then in chapter 2, verses 12 through 17, it's a second trumpet that is blown and it's to call an assembly. We have an announcement, an alarm, and now the calling of the assembly. He's asking for the trumpets to blow to bring all the people together so that they can fast and pray and confess their sins. And now this 
Fasting and praying is not just the tearing of outward clothes like was a custom and a ritual of that day. Joel is saying this needs to be the rendering, the breaking of your hearts. Not just the things on the outside. It needs to go deep within. And no doubt, as Joel is writing this, he's recalling Solomon's great prayer during the temple dedication when the Lord had appeared to him after Solomon had prayed and the Lord said these words to Solomon in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. The Lord said to Solomon the king, I've heard your prayer and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. And when I shut up the heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among the people, and then this verse is going to be real, really familiar to many of you. If my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. No doubt those words were ringing in the prophet Joel's mind and in his heart and his spirit as he was writing about calling this great assembly to gather together, to fast, to pray, and to confess their sin. So after we see the announcement and we see the alarm and we see the assembly, then in chapter 2, verses 18 through 27, we see the answer, God's answer. Beginning in verse 25, he says, So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten, the crawling locusts, the consuming locusts, and the chewing locusts. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be put to shame. Then you will know that I am in the midst of Israel. And I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. He will do this, not because they deserve it. He will do it so that not only the nation of Israel, but all the heathen nations around them will know that He indeed is the Lord. So that's the day of the Lord typified. Now let's move to the prophecy and see the day of the Lord prophesied. And again, we're going to break this into three parts. And the first part starts in verse 28 of chapter 2. And it is that the Spirit poured out before the day, before that day. Read with me if you have your Bibles or if you just want to listen in verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also... My men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heaven and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned to, into darkness and the moon shall be turned into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now that last verse there sounds really familiar because if you've studied it at all in the book of Romans and know anything about those groups of uh, scriptures that have been pour, uh, pulled out and put together and often called the Roman road to salvation. This is quoted in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. And as I've studied through this for the last few months of these minor prophets, I'm amazed how many of their writings are transferred into the uh, New Testament. But the other, the beginning of that passage may have sounded familiar to you. And the reason why is because on the day of Pentecost, when 
Peter and the other uh, 11 apostles went out into the streets of Jerusalem to proclaim the coming of the day of the Lord, Peter literally quoted these verses. And you can read them in Acts chapter 2, verse 16 through 21. And what Peter is saying to the people of Israel as they're listening to him in Jerusalem on that day of Pentecost, he didn't say that this is Joel's prophecy is fulfilled here. He says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Meaning that the same Holy Spirit has been poured out on them that was what Joel was talking about. That was taking place. Now, the dramatic signs that we see listed in Joel's prophecy that uh, Peter even mentioned, those, uh, those dramatic signs in heaven won't be fulfilled until the last days. That's why we see the day of the Lord typified as through the nation Israel and then the great day of the Lord as it's prophesied as the way it will come about. And what happened on the day of Pentecost was the beginning of God's blessing upon Israel. And had the nation received Christ instead of arresting the apostles and stoning Stephen, then those promised days of refreshing would have come in the return of Christ and established His kingdom. And Joel is telling us what will occur in the last days of history during what's called oftentimes the tribulation period when the Spirit of God will work mightily in His power in saving both Jews and Gentiles during that turbulent time. And there's going to be many great signs and wonders that will happen in the heaven. You can read all about them in the book of Revelation. So that's the Spirit poured out before that day. The second part begins in chapter 3 with the judgment poured out during that day. The Lord will deliver the Jews from their captivity from the nations and allow them to return to the land. But then those nations are going to gather together one day to fight against Jerusalem. And what Joel is talking about, they're going to be brought to the valley of Jehoshaphat, which is really the plain of Megiddo. And that's where the battle of Armageddon will take place. That's where it'll be fought. And during that time, God's punishment will be poured out on the Gentiles for the way that they have treated the nation Israel, God's people, and even the land of Israel. These nations had robbed the Jews of their wealth that was given to them by God Himself. And so God will call for a recompense of those Gentile nations in the day of the Lord. Now, as you read through there, you'll see in verse 14, it talks about the valley of decision. It has nothing to do with like what we talk about today, seeing people make a decision for the Lord. No, this valley of decision is about suggesting a threshing that's going to take place where the nations are going to be thrashed. They're going to be judged by the Lord. Because you see, the Lord God, Christ, is going to defend His land, His people, and His holy uh, city. So we see the judgment that's poured out in that day. And then lastly, as the book concludes, the little uh, letter that Joel writes for us about his ministry, we see blessings that are poured out after that day. As Joel preached, the people could lift their eyes and look beyond the city walls, and all they saw were dry fields starving cattle of what those that were left, and empty barns. And as they looked out across the land, all they saw were locusts and a ravaged country. But you see, Joel was looking beyond that. Because he was a prophet. And God was allowing him to see things that others couldn't see. And Joel was seeing a time when there would be wine and milk and water would flow in abundance. And of course, this is referring to the kingdom age when Jesus will come again and sit on David's throne in Jerusalem for the land will be healed 
and be blessed of God and be restored. Listen to the last three verses of Joel's prophecy. Egypt shall become a desolation and Edom a desolate wilderness for the violence they have done to the people of Judah because they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah will be inhabited forever and Jerusalem to all generations. I will avenge their blood that I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion. So we see that blessings are going to be poured out after that day on God's people. But please don't miss the personal appeal of Joel's message to you and to me today. Certainly God, and listen to me carefully about this, certainly God can and does send natural calamities when nations refuse to obey Him. Wars, crop failures, epidemics, earthquakes, storms, floods, wildfires. I mean, it amazes me as we were going through the summer, we saw one side of our country consumed in wildfires while the other side was flooding out. It just seemed like, why can't you bring those two together and find a peaceful resolution? But God is working. But not only will God use these great and uh, strong supernatural forces of, of nature, He will also even use little insects. Maybe not locusts so much as we've seen in our everyday, but just a couple years ago. Do you remember the Zika virus that was being spread through what? Little tiny mosquitoes. And God will use anything and everything that's of this world to do His will when men and women don't obey Him. And, and when we don't, it may not just be on a national level, but when we as a follower of Christ, when our lives don't personally line up with what God wants for us, they will become dry and fruitless if we're out of God's will. And when we're in that situation where the locusts have eaten us up spiritually, Joel stresses the importance of sincere, deep repentance toward and to God so that He might be able to forgive us to heal us and send blessings upon us. So that's the prophecy of Joel. And again, it's not just for those Old Testament times. It's for you and me today. And you may be in a place in your life where you feel dry. You feel like you're going through the desert. Just turn to the Lord. Because everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will not be put to shame. And I believe those words to be true, not only in Joel's day, but in our day too. So I hope and pray that this has encouraged you and hopefully will inspire you to live for the Lord. And if you have a question or comment, again, if you want to email me, that's, you can do that to Mike at Risen, R-I-Z-E-N dot church. And I would love to hear from you. And even if you don't, I'm going to ask the Lord to make His face to shine upon you and to bless you and keep you in all your ways. May you have a blessed day.